Well, this morning what I want to do is uh, take five weeks of, or five weeks, five days uh, of Vacation Bible School and kind of summarize them in one message. In, in many ways, people think of that Vacation Bible School is only for children, and some people don't do children. In fact, that's exactly what I heard from one adult this past week, and I said, well, if you don't do children, you better start working on doing children, because Jesus said, uh, to suffer the children to come unto me. Uh, and also he said, uh, unless you become like a child, you'll have nothing to do with the, the kingdom of God. Uh, God wants us to be childlike. He doesn't want us to be immature, but he wants us to be childlike in that when we hear the truth, we respond the truth in all honesty and openness to, to say, what must I now do? Because I believe that what you have just said is true. And, and so this morning we're going to talk uh, not to the little, little children, we're going to talk to the big children. That's what we're doing in this uh, particular sanctuary this morning. And just say, well, what is it that God taught them that we ought to kind of, you know, maybe uh, listen to just a little bit that might apply to us? Uh, it's amazing when we think about what we do each week and hopefully every day of each week when we consider about uh, who God is and is He noble? And if He is noble, what kind of God is He? Does He really love us? Does He care about us? Does He have a will for our life? Uh, is it something I've made up in my mind? It's a good story. Too good to be true, but I like it anyway, so I'm going to kind of somehow embrace it. Uh, what, what is this call to have people put their confidence and trust in a, in a God they cannot see and cannot hear? I was reading a couple stories this week that uh, related to children that kind of hit that in, in a variety of different ways. And one was uh, from a pastor's home, and this was the account of one little kid in the home, one little, the, the boy in the home. It says, it seems the pastor's small son was told by his mother that he should wash his hands because there were germs living in all that dirt that he had been playing in. He refused and complained, germs and Jesus, germs and Jesus, that's all I ever hear around this house, and I've never seen either one. <laughs> Sometimes that's how we kind of think. Am I believing in something I can't see? But we, we believe in things all the time that we can't see. You know, I don't, I don't see those little critters that somehow infect us and sometimes give us that cold or that physical condition, but it's, they're there. And then there's also this little boy who uh, became a Christian during vacation Bible school, and he was uh, like the sixth grader, and he was a 12-year-old. And it was at the beginning of the summer, just like we had one at the beginning of summer, and there was summer school starting the next, uh, next day. And somehow the word got out that he had become a Christian. Um, and so at school, his friends started to kind of ridicule him a little bit. And they said, uh, well, did you, did you see God? Did he give you a vision? Did he talk to you audibly? Did you hear his voice? And as they mocked his faith, he answered all those questions. No, I didn't see God. I didn't hear God. Well, then how could you believe in him? What motivated you to, to give your heart to, to this God you cannot see and cannot hear? And the boy answered uh, after he thought for a moment. He says, well, it's like, it's like when you catch a fish, you know. And the line's in the water. You, you can't see the fish. You can't hear the fish. But there's a, there's a tugging on the line, and you know it's there. And when God tugged on my heart, I said yes, and he came in. There's a, there's a principle that for people who speak, and it's the KISS principle, keep it simple, speaker, and if you don't do it, they say keep it simple, stupid, right? Uh, and and so, so one of the things is you, do, is you work with children, they, they really make you work hard at making sure you communicate well because they, they won't put up with stuff that doesn't, doesn't come across clear to them. And, and in many ways, God wants us to realize that he wants us to always to get it. To get what the, the big idea is in terms of 
knowing what he is doing, what he wants to do in our lives. And the story of Noah, and we believe it's a true story, and I had prepared kind of a message that would kind of give some of the evidences why we believe it's a true story. But it really speaks about how someone really experiences uh, the grace that God gives. The, the theme um, verse was, but, God, but uh, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And you can try to understand that verse in a variety of different ways, but when God looked down, he saw a heart that was open to what God wanted to do in his life. And apart from God reaching down and touching that heart, this wouldn't have happened because Noah was like all of us. We're, we, we, we come out of the womb far from God. And then God begins to draw us in, just like that fisherman drawing that fish in. And there comes a point, and we don't know how this all works, but there comes a point where as God draws us in that we respond to his offer of grace. And when we respond in, in the way that he's called us to respond, then we experience it. Some people call that common grace, you know, as it's out there, and then efficacious grace when we experience it. So there comes a point where we've got to respond. And this morning what I want to do, I want to do, go through it quickly. We don't have a lot of time. I, I've already cut some things from the first service. So let's just, let's just look at a few simple things that we were sharing this past week in, in the life of Noah. And there's some things he, he wants us to remember if we learn from what has gone in the past. And, and the first thing we need to remember is that w- we need to know that, that God wants us to take a stand. He wants us to take a stand for him. Uh, on both my arms here are a couple of the, the crafts. One is a bracelet that says, He anchors me. And the other one says, Jesus anchors me. And there came a point in Noah's life is, as he looked around him, he saw everybody else was going the opposite way that God was trying to move them to. In fact, some of the most heart-rendering words in all of Scripture is that as God looked down at mankind after, after he had done so many things to provide for them, it said the intent of, of every man's heart was to do evil continually. And God was sad that he had populated this planet with, with people that was beyond everything else that he had created that was beautiful and called us not only good but very good. And he was sad that he had brought man on earth. But then there was an interruption as God looked down on mankind and it says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And we're going to look at five statements this morning and all those five statements really don't have a sequential order to them in in many ways they're almost experienced instantaneously and they're just kind of like synonyms to describe what what it means to to cross over the line of faith to not simply know about God but say I want to know him if you really want to know God first of all or not first of all but someplace in the order you got to be willing to make a stand to take a stand no matter what Anybody and everybody else is doing, you've you got to be willing to take a stand. Now, in most experiences of life, if you take a stand, there are at least some people on your side, right? You're not, you're not standing alone. You're looking up, and maybe you're in the minority. Maybe there are only a few of you standing or, or being willing to verbalize what you believe or you're convinced is true. And, and there's a, at least a collection of you that gives you a little bit of support. But if you look at the life of Noah... He was the only one standing to begin with. And all of the world's population just mocked his commitment to God. 
He took a stand for God, and God asked him to do something that he had never even heard about before. He built a, built an, built a boat. And not just a little boat, a big boat. A boat, you know, take a football field and add another half of the football field, 150 yards wide, long, five stories high, and make it kind of like a box, and I want you to fill it with animals. Well, he'd never seen a boat like that. And, and it just was beyond imagination, but he knew that God had spoken to him, and he began to take a stand. And people, why are you doing this? Because God told me to do this. That God's going to bring judgment. He wants to save all those who believe in him. And it says in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, he was a preacher. He wasn't just a builder, he was a preacher. But he had experience that no preacher wants to have. He preached and no one what? No one listened. They might have heard his words, but didn't respond in faith or, or commitment. They just heard him. But he took a stand. And he is stand alone. I was thinking about that. Uh, I, was, I did in the first service. I'm going to do in the second service, uh, this service. And I'm just going to ask one of you to take a stand. What, what, the rest of you just sitting. Clyde, will you just stand right now? <laughs> Either one, Clyde Sr. or Clyde Jr. Right. Now, I'm going to have him stand the rest of the service. He didn't know that. But anyway, no. You know, you know it's, it's one thing. You know, it's, it, there are times in the service we'll say, everybody stand and we'll sing. All right. If you looked around, if you were the only one standing when everybody else was sitting, you'd kind of feel uncomfortable, wouldn't you? You'd feel, this is kind of weird. People are going to kind of laugh at me. think, what am I doing in the midst of the service, you know? And it would have been interesting if I had asked him to do that without telling, not telling the rest of you. He just was standing while I was preaching and everybody else was sitting. You go, what is wrong with Clyde over there? He's just standing. No one else is standing. You can sit down now, Clyde. Is that, and that's what kind of Clyde was. He took, uh, not Clyde, that's what Noah, he, he was told to take a stand. And whenever you cross a line and become a follower of Jesus Christ, what you're saying is, I don't care if no one else follows, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to follow God. And so Noah began that journey by starting to build an ark, build a boat, for judgment was going to come decades and decades and decades later. And so he had to trust God by taking a stand. The verse that we had the kids memorize this, this week was, Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, and be strong. And, and as you think about that, the, the, the focus there was, at times when you've got to take a stand, you've got to be willing to have courage. You've got to be brave. Uh, David Pope, who was sharing about what's happening around the world, and we're going to be studying that this summer, and again, I want to give you another commercial. In the morning on Wednesdays, we have a Bible study that's at 1030, and we meet in the chapel. I encourage you to come to Bible study. This week, Bill March, our, our associate, is going to be teaching the Bible study. I encourage you just to come, come on Wednesday mornings and study God's Word together. But it, it's on his, um, one of his websites, he, he made this statement recently. He said, when you pray, don't always pray for safety. Instead of praying for safety, Pray for courage. And, and really, oftentimes, we're asking God to prevent that which he wants to bring in our life, which is a challenge. And, and he said, you need to trust me. You, you, your life is in my hands. Your, your need is not another assurance that I will prevent that which should not come in your life, which is what we're praying for. We're praying that harm will not come in your life. If I don't want harm to come in your life, I'll protect you from that. But what 
what I have chosen to limit what I will do with you. If you don't have courage, if you don't have, if you're not willing to be brave, you'll never step out where I want you to be. Now, I, I dare say none of us are going to be uh, called of God to build an ark. In fact, he's given us a promise in the sky that he's not going to bring judgment upon this world by breaking heavens with water and the, the water beneath to come up from the surface as well. But I dare say he, he will ask us to maybe cross the street and talk to a neighbor or someone we work with, someone we know in the community, and, and take a stand for Jesus and just, just talk to them about spiritual things. When we, when we become like Noah, we need to remember, we, we like Noah, need to take a stand for God. The next day with the children, uh, which that's the little children, now we're the larger children, we, we emphasize that if you, really, if you really connect with God, not only are you going to take a stand for God, you're going to make a commitment to obey God. Now, the verse that we emphasize for them to memorize, if, if you love me, obey my commandments. And in many ways, we, we experience that with, uh, with our children or grandchildren or even people that maybe we have supervisor responsibility with, maybe you be a coach or be a teacher, and, and you, you ask them to do something and then they just stay there. They don't, move a, they don't move, they don't do anything. Or you ask them to do something, they do the exact opposite, and you're wondering, I, I, thought, I thought we were on the same team. I thought they they respected my leadership. I, I, I thought they, they thought I know what I was talking about. And, and when people don't respond to you by, with obedience, you, you can say there's something wrong in the relationship. And Jesus made that statement to his closest disciples. If you really love me, don't just talk about loving me. Do what I say. It was interesting, one of the leaders this past week talked about that. He said, fundamentally, you know, when you're in, in, at home with your parents... For you to obey, first of all, you need to really listen to them. You need to hear them. And, and the word in the New Testament, the Greek word, comes from a word, uh, akuo, from which we get acoustics. And huper akuo has the idea, if you're, which intensifies acoustic. It's like if you have little speakers, now you have big speakers. And it's saying, if you really listen to God, that, that's the mark of being one of his followers. Because when you hear his voice, you want to respond to it by obeying it. So as you look in your own life this week, and as you look at the lessons, the simple lessons God wants to just brand in our own life with, is that when, when I encounter things in God's word that are very specific and very clear, is my first response to say yes, or is it no? I was watching uh, some young parents with their, their child, and it was really interesting. They were, the child, you could tell, was really having a lot of fun in what they were doing. They were, at a, they were actually at a beach, and, you know, they were playing in the sand. They were playing in the water. And, and sometimes, you know, your schedule and your kid's schedule is not the same, and you realize you've got to take them home. They've got to go home and whatever it might be. And so they, they were prepping the young child and say, okay, we've got two more minutes. You've got two more minutes. Now, when the two more minutes are up, what are you going to say to mommy and daddy? There was silence for the moment. And then the, the little child said, I'll say, okay, okay. And what were, the, what were those parents doing for that little child? They were saying, I, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to prep you to be obedient. I, I'm trying to get you ready to say yes when you want to say no. 
And sometimes God brings us to that place where we do want to say no, and yet we know God wants us to say yes. So what do we learn from Noah? What are some things God wants us to call back to mind so we might live like a person who, who really experiences, has experienced the grace of God? We need to be people willing to take a stand for God. Wherever, wherever we're planted, wherever we are, are we taking a stand for God? And then to realize that our lifestyle needs to be a lifestyle of obedience. What God says, that settles it. In every aspect of life, in our homes, in our places of employment, in our schools, in our interactions with people, with our ethics, with our finances, with our priorities, all that, it, it comes under the banner of what has God said about these parts of my life. Then thirdly, and this is probably an area I, I, I probably uh, uh, just was challenged with as much as anything else, is, is then we, we brought the children on Wednesday night to say, if you're really going to be a, like Noah, you need to, to remember to trust God, to trust God. The other scene's almost external, but trusting is you need to have so much confidence in God that you just rest in Him. You, you rely upon Him. You, you depend upon Him. And there was a verse that I had never memorized before. A lot of the verses in Vacation Bible School I've memorized in the past, and sometimes I have to re-memorize them because they're in different translations and I've memorized them in. But it's a passage from Psalm 31, verse 14. And it's a very personal uh, statement in the book of Psalms. It says, but as for me, I will trust in you, O Lord. You are my God. And what I like about that so much, it really focuses on you realize who's saying it. I'm saying this, and I know who I'm saying it to, and I'm all in. But as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. And as I read that, I go, what a great passage. How come I've never memorized that? And then I decided, well, you know, I wonder what was the context of that passage. It's Psalm 31, verse 14. And before Psalm 31, verse 14, there's Psalm 31, 13. And before Psalm 31, 13, there's Psalm 31, 12. You get the idea. There's some verses before it. And, I'm, and I'm, if, you ever, if you've ever looked at a verse, and these are kind of the verses you put on your, your refrigerator or your car or some kind of place. It's kind of a neat little verse. And, and, but it becomes even greater when you, you understand the context. Uh, you know, I mentioned to you that Noah was a preacher of righteousness, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. And, and you know what preachers do? Preachers, some have put it this way. Preachers do two things. Either they take people who are really going through difficult times and bring them comfort, in other words, we comfort the afflicted, or we take people who are a little bit too comfortable and we afflict them to be a little bit out of their comfort, right? We, we either push people to do things they're not doing, or we hold on to people who are about to go crazy because of the, the challenges in their life. And, and God's Word does that. There are times where God says, look, I'm not asking you to do anything other than just trust me. And other times, say, I want you to put your trust and faith, and I want you to put it into action. Well, Psalm 31 is one of those psalms in which what God is saying to the hearers of this psalm and the writer who responds unto God this way is, God, I just need your help. I am hurting. And, and that just surprised me when I looked at the past. You have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 31. And I'm going to have to say this fast because we're losing our time. But Psalm 31, uh, this, is, this is not the writer of, of, of a psalm who is just praising God for all the great things that have happened recently. They, 
It's not one of those psalms that is written because God parted the Red Sea or God rescued him from Goliath or God somehow set up the kingdom and, and now he's on easy street rather than on, on um, you know, no street at all where he's out there with the, 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 the sheep and among all the, 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 the wildlife that are trying to attack uh, the shepherd who was following the sheep. But look at Psalm 31 beginning at verse, um, no, we'll start at verse 9. Uh, be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted away from grief, my soul and my body also. Uh, and I hope, hope you've been in the picture. This is called a, a lament psalm in the, in the Old Testament. It's one of those in which where, uh, the psalmist is asked the question, how are you doing? How are you feeling? And rather than just saying, well, I'm doing okay. I'm doing fine. Everything's going good. He said, let me just tell you how I'm really feeling. And how are you really feeling? Well, my eye is wasting away. And how is it wasting away? Because all I do is cry. I cried all day today. I cried all day yesterday. I cried all day the day before yesterday. In fact, if you listen on, he says it's been going on for a long time. He says, um, for my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. And most of us can look back. I, you know, I had a bad day. I had a bad week. I had a bad month. I hope, I'm glad when this year is over. Usually sometimes we'll say that at the end of a calendar year. He said, look, this has been decades. It's been years. And my sorrow is so great, I, I feel like I'm wasting away. It's not just physically. I, my body is aching. But not only my body, my, my soul is distraught. It goes on in verse 10. My strength is failed be, and then he adds this phrase, which I w almost wish he hadn't, but I understand why he put it there, because of my iniquity. Now, if we're really honest with ourselves, most of the time when we're complaining, we're complaining because of what other people have done to us, right? Or just the, the circumstances of life have not been as, as, as uh, enjoyable as we compare it with other people's circumstances. Things just seem to be going wrong for me, and it just it has happened. Or other people have been against me. But he says, you know, my life is spent with sorrow and sighing. And then he goes, because of my iniquity. Sometimes the, the reason we're in the condition we're in is because of our own choices, our own sin. And that actually drives us deeper in depression because we can't blame anybody other than ourselves. And then he goes on and says in verse 11, because of all my adversaries, I've become a reproach especially to my neighbors, and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. Now, have you ever had that experience? You know, when people, when people, you encounter people, instead of them walking up to you, they walk away from you? Now, most people aren't, aren't quite that brazen, but that does happen at times. You know, they, people look at you and they look away. And he said, this is everybody. I don't have anybody who is supporting me. This is kind of like the Job experience. Who, who, who's on my side here? He says, nobody. Verse 12, I am forgotten as a dead man out of mind. You know, what's worse than people not liking you is people not even caring about you. They don't even think about you. They, they, they don't even, you're, they're indifferent toward you. For I've heard the slander of many, tears on every side, while they took counsel together against me. They schemed to take away my life. This is, this is bad news here. And then he says, the memory verse. Oh, but as for me, 
I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. Now, how could anybody write such a beautiful statement like that after experiencing all that he just wrote about? The only way a person could write that in any sense of honesty is to recognize that, that God is with you no matter what you're going through. And if God is on your side, if no one else is on your side, if you are standing alone, and even if some of the things that you've encountered is because of the choices you've made, God is saying, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I love you and I will always love you because you're one of my children. And so this morning, as you think about what does it mean to, to experience the grace of God, it means that maybe you need to take a stand for God that you, where you haven't been taking a stand for God. Maybe you need to obey God where you haven't been obeying God. But maybe your life is just filled with despair and pain and sorrow. And God is simply saying, just trust me. Just trust me that I never waste a pain. I never waste a sorrow. I, I will use this in your life, and I will use it in the people who know you, and they will see that I am with you no matter what you're going through. You know, Noah had some difficulties while I was on the boat. You know, I, I was reading some things that, you know, if you have that many animals on a boat, there's a lot of waste. <laughs> what are you going to deal with all that waste? And they have scientists that have figured out how they deal with all the manure that was produced by those. I'm using the best possible terms I can use, okay? Uh, tonnages of that but he had difficult times after he got off the boat but he had learned to trust God at the heights of God's demonstration of his power and the depths of his pain we don't really have time to talk about the other two things we left our, our children with but just real quickly not only does God want us to remember to stand for God to obey God, to trust God, but he also calls us to thank him, to thank God. The Bible says, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You want to be in the will of God today? You want to be the center of God's will for you today? Then be thankful. And that's a, that's a statement of trust, isn't it? God, even, even if everything goes wrong, continues to go wrong, I will trust you and I will thank you that you're in control. And when Noah, when Noah got off the boat, you know what he did? Is he built an altar of thanksgiving to God. And then finally, the Bible says, interesting enough, in Psalm 112, and it says other places as well, it says, blessed is the man who fears him. Blessed is the man who fears God. And that's a unique psalm too, or not unique, but it's a particularly interesting psalm, Psalm 112, in that, in that is what he does with a lot of things in the Bible as it relates to, to a challenge. Probably the most familiar command, or one of the most familiar commands of all God's word is don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. He said that to Joshua as Moses left him and he was going to the promise. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. When an angel arrives on the scene, people are always afraid of angels because they see some much more, someone much more powerful than them. He said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And yet, God says, be afraid. Be afraid of him. Have a healthy fear of God. And Psalm 112, interesting enough, he says, look, at if you fear God, then you really don't have to fear anything else in this world. If you fear God, realize he's the only one you're concerned about what he thinks, then you don't have to have fears of anyone else on this planet. So what's the point this morning? 
The point is God, God wants us, just like the little children and now the larger children or big children, He wants us to have a faith that's real. And the faith that's real is one that will take a stand for God, that is committed to obey God. We'll trust God no matter what we're going through. We'll be a thankful follower of the true God. And the fears that we have in this world that sometimes will control us will recognize if we fear God, we have nothing else to fear in this world because God is in control. Let's pray together. Father, these, these simple truths lived out by Noah as he built an ark and placed the animals on the ark and then went through the, the raging seas and then landed on dry ground and had to start everything all over again only could happen because he had a real relationship with you. And Father, I would pray for everyone here this morning that we might all have come to that place where we don't simply know about you, but we've made a commitment to you. That we come to that place where we admit our need and turn from that which is wrong in our life, our sin. We really do be, believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and rose again. But then have come to that place in our life where we make a commitment. We commit to follow Jesus as the leader of our life, the Lord of our life. That he truly is our God. He's the supreme being in, in our life. And that he is our Savior, the one who saved us from our sin. Help us to live for you like a little child, fully confident that what you have said is true. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let's stand this morning as we sing unto him. And if you